Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When he feasts and feeds you, starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the the new abolitionist radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activists and spoken word poet Max Parkus and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the September 5th, 2018 live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, and we are 16 days into the international prison strike to end modern-day slavery. Tonight, we welcome special guest Lee Wood, founder of Committee to Abolish Prison Slavery, CAPS, and co-author of the books Prison Slavery in the 13th Amendment, published in 1978, and also co-author of Prison Slavery, published in 1982 with Barbara Esposito. In Prison Slavery, the final chapter calls for the new abolitionist movement. Today, his call has been answered, and we'll speak with him personally. This is another one of those must-hear podcasts in our four-week series discussing the various narratives vying for control during the 2018 prison strike. On and near this day in history, Frederick Douglass escaped from slavery on September 3, 1838, aided by a and job skills he had learned while forced to work in Baltimore's shipyards. Douglas posed as a sailor when he grabbed a train in Baltimore that was headed to Philadelphia. He was also given papers from a free black sailor to help in the journey. My knowledge of ships and sailors talk came much to my assistance, for I knew a ship from stem to stern and from keelson to cross trees and could talk sailor like an old salt, he later said in his autobiography. Also, on September 5th, 1666, at the days of negotiation, the Dutch settlement of New Amsterdam surrendered to the British, who renamed it New York. Lastly, on September 5th, 1958, Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested in Alabama, protests for loitering and fined $14 for refusing to obey police. While in, in incarceration, he wrote the insightful and powerful narrative, A Letter from a Birmingham Jail. In direct new action news tonight, 
The Right to Vote campaign needs your support. It is a nationwide campaign being initiated by people currently combined in the United States. The campaign grew out of the August 21st national prison strike demands, specifically point 10, the voting rights of all confined citizens serving pr prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Willis Augustus Hodges, 1815 to 1890, the publisher of a weekly newspaper, The Ram's Horn, and an underground railroad agent, a rare black abolitionist living in a slave state. Our riders of the 21st Century Underground Railroad today are Anthony Jakes and Robert Buto. They spent 45 years in prison combined, serving their full sentences before being paroled. Their cases are just the latest example of a slew of wrongful convictions costing taxpayers millions of dollars in settlements, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. As always, we have a little time and a lot to cover. Be sure to follow the information we provide on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio so you can see the information in real time as we talk about the issues. Also, remember to support our efforts by joining us as a member at our social community, community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. We need your help and support to continue. You'll find the links to today, today's program on our abolitionist planning page, which is available to BTR community members. And if you've got a question or comment, you can call us at 704-802-5056. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Once again, I'm Max Parvis. What's happening, Brother Scotty? It hey, was good, Max. Um, just staying busy, man, and I'm also continue, uh, I continue to be inspired uh, by the prisoners who are participating in this strike, um, inspired by the people on the outside who are supporting them. Um, nothing like this has ever happened in my lifetime where you had international focus on slavery in the United States. So, I mean, that's just, that's historic to me, man. And I stay psyched about it. I stay amped up and I continue to do my part to um, circulate those stories through social media. Um, again, loving this day in history segment. Uh, just think Frederick Douglass and what people had to, had to endure to take on a f fake persona um, you know, just to be able to move behind these enemy lines. And so Frederick Douglass was not a sailor. I don't recall him ever going on any voyages except for as a passenger, but he took on the identity of a sailor and went as far as I imagine hanging out at places that sailors hung out and asked a lot of questions about uh, ships and running a ship and, and all of that good stuff to where, uh, like he mentions in his autobiography, hey, I, I could talk that jargon. I could speak that jargon like an old old ship hand and what have you. So, you know, just just a, um, a window into what he and others had to go through to escape the slavers of their day. Um, the other thing, when you talked about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. being arrested for protesting. And I've actually written about that before. Uh, there 
are were state laws, laws on the books that said that made it illegal for you to do a boycott. Like you couldn't tell people, you couldn't start a picket line in front of a store or some other type of business and, you know, encourage people not to shop there. That was against the law. And even today, um, we see vestiges of that or that same tactic being applied. Now, they haven't been successful, but you've had Democrats and Republicans express support for making it a criminal offense to criticize Israel's apartheid government, okay, to pro to even uh, launch a boycott of Israeli companies and their products that they make in, in the occupied territories of Palestine. And then lastly, I don't know if it was yesterday or, or early today, but Donald Trump is tweeting out that protests ought to be illegal. Who knows who he's referring to? Never know what, what the, what's on that guy's mind or where he's coming from, but we know that um, he doesn't like Colin Kaepernick personally, specifically has called him out. He doesn't like other athletes who engage in pro protests. And he said today he thinks protests ought to be outlawed. Now, this is a person who has sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And in that very First Amendment, it talks about um, the right to protest, uh, freedom of assembly, uh, seeking redress of grievances. So uh, always interesting to look at the current times through the prism of the past. Thanks, Max, for that. Indeed, Scotty. Uh, I just want to say a couple things before we get into our segment with our guests. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize in advance. You know, as you know, Scotty, I'm going through some health issues, and today is just a bad day. So, a lot of this stuff is taking my breath away. So, forgive me if I'm not at my best. Uh, also, I, I want to let people know that I'll be in Columbia, South Carolina, on September the 8th at the State House uh, in support of the Rally for SC Prison and Sentencing Reform. Now, everybody knows that I'm not a reformist, and yet I have been asked to speak, and they are well aware of my position. So come in, if you get a chance, I mean, I'm coming on freaking braces. So if you could walk, come on down and join me there, Columbia, South Carolina, from 1.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. at the State House. Uh, Scott, there's a couple of, well, there's at least one video before the end of the night I want to get out the way. And I'm also so much looking forward to this interview with Lee Wood. Um, you know, he has inspired so much, uh, and he was the, like the rock in the river that caused a lot of ripples. Back in 1978, he published a book uh, on prison slavery with the 13th Amendment right there on the cover when nobody else was talking about it. And, you know, I did so much research, and I couldn't find nobody talking about it before Lee Woods back all the way to 19 and 10. So between 19 and 10 and the late 70s, nobody was talking about abolition that I could find until he came along. And that inspired so much afterwards. Scott? Yes. And as I have stated before, I've worked with Mr. Wood in the past and I talked about how I came across the 13th Amendment, but at times I couldn't remember. 
what caused me to look up the 13th Amendment. But now I remember, you know, I'm always researching and reading history. It's always been my favorite subject. Not just slavery, not just African-American history, but just world history in general. I don't know why, but I just always uh, like reading about events and people from the past. And so I was doing some research on slavery, looking for something when I came across his book, Prison Slavery. And um, I wasn't able to purchase a copy, but Google Books did have some excerpts. And that's when I found the reference to the 13th Amendment. And then I was like, wow, they did not abolish slavery. And I've been believing this all these years. I was in my mid-40s, you know. Um, and then, you know, I had kind of reached out to Mr. Woods and um, convinced him uh, to do a radio program in the early days of Black Talk Radio Network. And um, although our collaboration on that project ha has come to an end, um, his work will always be responsible and the number one inspiration for the creation of this program, New Abolitionist Radio. I would not be an abolitionist today, a slavery abolitionist today, um, focusing primarily on the slavery through the prisons, if not for Mr. Woods' book. So let me put that out there now. Well, that's awesome, Scotty. And, you know, one of the other things that this series is actually about is we're inviting people to represent different ideals about what we're dealing with in the, here in 2018 with this criminal justice system. And I've been able to identify uh, at least four narratives. One is prison abolition, who we had guests on last week and told us what they thought and what they felt and what their goals were and what they were trying to accomplish. And they also told us what they thought about us. But then you also have justice reform. Then you have slavery abolition, which is what we're here for, 13th Amendment slavery abolition, and then prison slavery, which I don't think is very much different than what we're doing right now. I, I but, don't, uh, I don't see the difference. He's the father of prison slavery, so to speak. He's literally the man who wrote the book on it. So who better to explain it than him? And I would, I would agree with that. It's, it's not a difference. I think it is semantics, as you might raised at one point. Because if we're focusing on the 13th Amendment and what it says, then it says that it's only legal through that mechanism of the exception clause, which says that if you are duly convicted of a crime. And so that's the only way it can happen is, is, is in the prisons. Um, of course, that includes jails. And that would also, uh, anything connected to the criminal justice system. But we know the number one way that they do it is through the prisons. But see, also we have to include the refugees who are who filed their own lawsuit against slavery, the immigrants in the GEO Group's private prison facilities. Um, they are in solidarity with this current uh, prison prison strike so but they haven't been convicted of crimes as the abolitionist attorney I don't think I should call her abolitionist attorney she hasn't declared herself that although uh, she is an abolitionist but the immigration attorney she called herself Scotty the abolitionist did, did attorney. she say that did she say that did I get her to acknowledge that she was an abolitionist in this I, you know because she has some appreh apprehension about that she didn't know 
if the definition fit her. I said, well, you're, you wrote an article pointing to the 13th Amendment saying slavery was never abolished, and you're right now telling people on air on this radio program that slavery was never abolished and we need to end slavery. So I think that qualifies you as an abolitionist. And so, so, but like she's pointed out in that interview I did with her is that the immigration issue, those are civil infractions. Those are not criminal infractions. Although Donald Trump and his kind have used the same criminalizing language to to demonize these refugees, to make you think they are rapists, robbers, and burglars and whatnot, to justify the expanding private prison state. So so I don't think there's much difference. We're we're talking about slavery, um, slavery abolitionists as well as because Max, again, you know, we've had an issue with abolitionists like in New York, the New York Abolitionist Society, they focus on slavery that's already illegal and human trafficking, which is important, okay? That's very important. We see that happening right now in Libya with some of the migrants and what have you. But I think our main focus over the year has always over the years has always been on the slavery in the prisons. Absolutely. Hey, Scotty, let's go ahead and bring our guest in. So uh, yes, let me sir. start with this. Once again, we our guest today is Lee Wood. He is the founder of the Committee to Abolish Prison Slavery, known as CAPS, and the co-author of the books Prison Slavery and the 13th Amendment, published in 78, as well as Prison Slavery, published in 82 with Barbara Esposito. Uh, he's also gathered signatures to take to the United Nations in regards to the slavery that's happening here in the United States. So without any further ado, Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Brother Lee Woods. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you very much. It's my honor, and uh, you're doing a great job. Uh, thank you, brother. Would you like to add anything to your bio, something you might want people to know about you in particular? Well, sure. I uh, I did five years in the joint, and that's where uh, I discovered the exception. Mr. Wood, if you would pause for a minute, sir, I don't mean to interrupt you, but we're hearing something that sounds like somebody snapping their fingers or or hitting something. Do, do you not? Do no. y'all not hear that clicking noise? No, I'm not hitting anything. Okay, give me just a uh, second. What I'm going to do is turn the stand off, and maybe that'll. Yeah, it's something coming from your line, Mr. Wood. It's not Max's line. Uh, there it goes. Well, if we have to, we forget this. I'm here. Hello. Yes, we hear you, uh, Brother Lee Wood. I think, uh, I think Scotty is doing something, trying to figure out what's going on. It's nothing I, I could do. Um, Perhaps we got a bad connection. If, if Mr. Wood, if you don't mind, if we can get you to call back in to um, reestablish a new connection, because that it, it's like a constant rapping noise, and it's hard to hear okay, you. Okay, I'll, I'll call back. Okay. I'll call back. Okay. All right. So he'll be right back. Uh, we're going to get to if we can get this cleared up. Uh, I know he's dealing with some health conditions, so it might be something in that regards, like an oxygen tank or something like that. 
Angela Chan, I'm sorry. Angela Chan was the immigration attorney, if I didn't mention her name. Yes, and also you were talking about Nikema Levy-Pounds, who has since gotten married and had a, a baby, so I think her last name has changed. It has. I was actually on her uh, website last night. Okay, let's okay. see <laughs> if we got Mr. Wood back and make sure we don't have that. I didn't hear. Um, Mr. Wood? Yes. All right. We we, the issue is resolved. Sorry about that, sir. Sometimes we okay. just had these technical issues. Let's finish off where you were at. You were saying you spent five years in prison, and that's where you found out about the 13th Amendment. Who, how did you find out about it while you were there? Well, okay, I, I belong to uh, uh, a prisoner organization called Empleo por Unidad. It's a Mexican-American uh, 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 prisoner uh, organization, and we were having a, uh, a, a discussion group trying to uh, learn more about the Constitution, and, and each uh, uh, prisoner would read uh, – uh, one constitutional amendment. So when when the uh, uh, this little paperback uh, constitution got to uh, one prisoner and he read the Thirteenth Amendment, uh, here I am. I said, oh, "No, no, no, that's not right. No, 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 that can't be right." You know. And so he read it again. I said, "Oh, no, no, that, that I still don't believe it." And so afterwards, uh, I got the uh, I got the paperback copy of uh, the Constitution, and I read it, and there it was, bigger than whatever, uh, the exception for slavery as a punishment for crime. And so that I told I told my comrades, I said, "Man, this is slavery," and they say, well, <laughs> "Oh yes, sure, man, sure, blow it off, blow it off," you know. And so I kept on and on and on and. Uh, I, I gave it to uh, some some good comrades, and uh, uh, they uh, distributed it uh, across the country, and uh, uh, and I even got my uh, my kid brother to uh, take a copy of a of a communique uh, to uh, Angela Davis, and she got it, and that was good, and she appreciated it, and. Uh, is that uh, what so you, I meant guess you said whispered in her ear? Was that what you meant? The communicate? I'm you sorry, once, say again. You once told me that you were the person who whispered in Angela Davis's ear about the Thirteenth Amendment. Is that how it happened through the communicate? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. My uh, my uh, younger brother uh, took it over to her and met her at a restaurant and. Uh, showed her the uh, communication uh, that I had, uh, which, of course, highlighted the 13th Amendment and, of course, capitalized uh, the uh, exception proviso. And uh, so she she got it. She got it. And uh, uh, she told my brother, thank you very much. And that was the end of it. She's not a lot with words. Uh, but she uh, she definitely uh, got the exception proviso uh, and uh, uh, kept the kept the uh, the message that I smuggled out uh, and, and uh, so you know that's how that got started and then uh, some more comrades inside uh, like I said uh, put it in their network and it reached uh, 
the East Coast and a lot of political prisoners. So, um, uh, you know, members of, uh, of various uh, national uh, civil rights organizations. So, uh, yeah, definitely. So by 1972, uh, you know, right after a lot of brothers uh, uh, had been slaughtered in New York and uh, Kamala Judge uh, in California, uh, you know, we, we got this message out. And uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a difficult struggle. It definitely was a difficult struggle. But while, while I was inside prison, I managed to uh, 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 set up a, a situation where, where our comrades outside would uh, take a, a message to uh, a couple of uh, 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 California state legislators uh, to, uh, to change, uh, uh, to basically change the uh, California state constitution because it has a proviso uh, uh, unless for the punishment of crimes. Okay, that's that's the proviso for uh, slavery uh, or involuntary servitude. So they changed that, and <laughs> uh, they didn't change it the way that we wanted it, but they did change it, and they said slavery is prohibited, period. Involuntary servitude is prohibited except to punish crime. So in California, they call it involuntary servitude, and there are a number of uh, involuntary servitude states that have uh, yes. tried to wiggle around like that. Yes, North yeah. Carolina is uh, one, Mr. Wood. North Carolina is one. They did the same thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, see, this is the California Constitution of 1849. Okay? Not... not uh, 1865. So, so it it, uh, it had uh, it made some uh, uh, some pathways before uh, uh, it was uh, 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 made constitutional in the in the U.S. Constitution, made national in the U.S. Constitution. So, yeah, I traced uh, way back to 1777 and the Vermont Constitution, which was the first constitution. Okay. Oh yeah, up for it. Yeah, right, 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 right. And uh, let me see. I'm trying to find it here. Uh, the Vermont Constitution. One, one uh, quick question, Mr. Wood. Um, I mean, I'm like, what's the difference between slavery and involuntary servitude? I mean, it's the same thing. One could be a metaphor for the other. It, it, I mean, it's the same thing. So basically, you haven't outlawed or prohibited anything concerning slavery well yeah it's it's uh that's the way they want to play it see but uh 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 yeah i agree there, there were no uh, statutes uh well actually there were a couple of uh small almost irrelevant statutes that were changed uh uh uh, uh in california to uh conform to uh uh, that state constitutional amendment, but nothing uh, substantial. Okay, so what happens is, if you if you change it, then you need statutes uh, to enforce it. Uh, uh, so so that uh, uh, you know to give it meaning. And I haven't seen too many states uh, do that. So. Um, you know, uh, 
for example, you know, if you change, uh, if you completely uh, remove uh, both uh, 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 slavery and involuntary servitude, then you you return to a citizen. You see, you return to a citizen, and and what what rights do citizens have? Well, every damn right in the Constitution, for one thing, you know. And uh, uh, should be uh, human rights from the uh, from the the Universal Declaration of Human yeah, Rights. Yeah, yeah, there, there it is. There it is. Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Yeah, you know, and, and the United Nations, and uh, it, it just. Uh, 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 it, it should just be solved with the exception removed. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now, you know where that jurisdiction is, don't you? There's places like Guam, Puerto Rico, U.S. Virgin Islands, any, any, any land that's under the occupation of the U.S. government. That's right, Iran, Afghanistan, or, or wherever, you know, any place where American troops are, that's where we have jurisdiction. And if, and if they don't like it, then uh, they'll bring in the bombers, you see. So they will uh, upgrade their uh, jurisdiction and blow them to bits. Um, you know, so... Uh, um, Mr. So Mr. Wood, on something, slavery, yeah. something you brought up, you said, you know, because right now uh, Colorado is on their second go around and they feel pretty confident after barely not being able to pass a constitutional amendment eliminating both slavery and involuntary servitude from their constitution. Um, they just did a launch on August the 28th for the second campaign. Uh, we want people in Colorado to vote yes on Amendment A, which would prohibit slavery and involuntary servitude, removes the exception clause. Now, you said that once that's removed, then those persons um, are then, what, full U.S. citizens? Because I, I felt like, and I've expressed that, the 13th Amendment creates some sort of citizen-slave hybrid. They don't take you through the formal steps of stripping you of your U.S. citizen for those who are U.S. citizens. Um, it doesn't, you know, there's a whole process. If you want to renounce your citizenship or they want to strip somebody of their citizenship, there is a, a court procedure that you have to go through. But they don't do that with the prisoners. They just, just take their rights away. So they've created this citizen-slave hybrid. And, and so my thoughts are, okay, if we restore them to their full citizenship, and again, you know, we don't want to leave out non-citizens. Uh, they would fall under the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. But focusing on U.S. citizens, to me, then, that would mean that they have the right to, to vote. All right. They would still be able to vote even while in the prison. Uh, um, they would fall under U.S. labor laws, laws on pay, minimum wage, laws on labor, regulating labor and safety and all that, all all the stuff that that entails. So, I mean, I feel like it would, would be the start to their restoration. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. I, I Sure. I mean, absolutely. Uh, uh, without... Uh, uh, an exception.
Egyptian proviso of, of uh, uh, slavery and voluntary servitude and dead servitude or, or any uh, uh, punishment or status that would change from citizen, you see, uh, to uh, uh, slave, you know, uh, you don't have any citizenship rights. Uh, yeah, definitely uh, uh, Colorado is uh, trying to move in, uh, in the right direction. Uh, they really, the advocates, uh, really messed it up the last time. It was a jumbled mess is what it was, and it didn't make any sense the way it read. Uh, so uh, they, they changed that, and they're trying to come back with, with uh, uh, a statement that prohibits uh, or abolishes. Uh, well, it's not going to abolish, see? The problem is it's not going to abolish because they don't have any statutes. They need about 20 damn statutes uh, to make a, dis a difference. You, you abolish the exception, okay. Then you have your, your citizenship rights, one, two, three, 25, you know, uh, 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 enunciated so that, uh, uh, so that it has some substance. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they have any, uh, uh, any statutes that are going to uh, have authority uh, under uh, this new constitutional change, they should, they should. But, but uh, from what I gather, uh, uh, the legislators are, are playing it like it, like there's there's not going to be any problem, and prisoners are going to uh, continue to be forced and are coerced to labor whether they are paid or not. You know, so uh, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a. Uh, a big struggle going on right there, and uh, people need to, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was to uh, ask you to do a search among your members uh, to find uh, residents of Colorado, okay, because, uh, uh, you know, they've got one one uh, organization uh, that's uh, 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 in uh, uh that I have in my computer, and then they've got they've got several uh, small uh, churches and uh, ministers and community organizers and uh, and uh, senior citizens that uh, are supporting this change. Yes, so, uh, um, it's three different. There we uh, played the thirty minutes of the rally they had announcing Amendment A. The ACLU was represented. The, the state, and I want to stress the state chapter of the NAACP, not the national. I don't know if the national gave them right, the right. endorsement or not, but it's the state NAACP, it's the ACLU. There was a representative from the AME Zion Church, which historically has been uh, involved in abolitionist work, slavery abolitionist work, right, and then you right. had three state representatives. Are the three state representatives that are uh, uh, are representing those uh, abolitionist groups? They are the ones who put Amendment A through, um, you know, to be able to be on the ballot. Apparently in Colorado, like here in North Carolina, we can't just gather signatures. And if you get the required amount of signatures, you could put something on the ballot, on the statewide ballot. The only way you could do it here in North Carolina, and I presume... Uh, by what they were saying, that the only way you could do it in Colorado is for legislatures to sponsor 
the amendment change or the proposal um, to even get it on the battle, ballot. And it went before the full House to vote on, and they said there wasn't a single no vote against it. Yeah, that's that's what I saw also. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's good. You know, uh, uh, what they need to do is is to put statutes in there under under the authority of the constitutional amendment. Well, Mr. Woods, um, do you think that perhaps that they're doing it in stages and keeping some of their plans close to the vest for fear that others will try to head them off at the pass, so to speak? I could see it, you well, know, also being that way. I, I hope they know. I hope they know uh, to do that, you know. But uh, I don't know if they understand or not. But I, uh, you know. Being uh, the strong organizations that you just mentioned, they should uh, uh, understand that uh, uh, they could they could come back later, sure, or they could they could have uh, uh, something uh, defining uh, what uh, eliminating that uh, uh, proviso would mean to uh, Colorado prisoners. I haven't seen anything uh, from Colorado prisoners. You see, and and I don't know what they're thinking about it either. They are involved uh, in the prison strike. There are yeah, prisoners in Colorado represented. Hey, uh, Brother Lee Woods, I would like to share some information with you, uh, and then I got three questions I want to be sure to ask you before the night's over. Uh, the first thing is that there are six total states who are fighting to remove the exception clause from their state constitution. That's Wisconsin, Maryland, Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee, as well as Colorado. Colorado is kind of the newcomer in this. Uh, those other states have been trying since 2014. And we like to think, and we've discussed this often in the past five years or so, we started calling for or predicting uh, using RICO laws against the prison industry. And since we started that conversation, as I said, I don't know if we called for it or predicted it, but a lot of those cases have come out and been successful, including the suit that was happening against the probation company in Alabama uh, for charges of racketeering. And then they had to leave the state with 115 different offices being required to close down. So th those are some of the things that they're doing now. And once the protection from for slavery, which is within the Constitution, is removed, I suspect that will open the door to start challenging the, uh, all of these crimes against humanity not only in uh, federal courts, but in international arenas as well. So uh, before I ask one of the questions, I also want to share something that we talked about just a little while ago, and it's the very first exception clause in a constitution, and that was the state of Vermont. And it's still in effect today. It says, Article 1st, all poor persons born free, their natural rights, slavery prohibited that all persons are born equally free and independent and have certain natural and inherent and unalienable rights, amongst which are the enjoying and defending life and liberty, acquiring, possessing, and protecting property, and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety. Therefore, no person born in this country or brought from overseas ought to be holden by law to serve any person as a servant, slave, or apprentice after arriving at the age of 21 years unless bound by a person's own consent after arriving to such an age, or by, bound by law for the payment of debts, damages, fines, costs, or the like. That's the Vermont Constitution. 
So uh, that is that's a long one. <laughs> like the like, you can be a slave for the like. What the hell is the like? Uh, Max, Max, yeah. Max, if you would correct me if I'm wrong. But didn't you do some research and identify it before a state constitution? It showed up in something called the Northwest Ordinance or, or something governing the territory? The Northwest Ordinance came out. Northwest Territory Ordinance of 1787, 1780. Actually, they started that in, uh, I think, 83. Yeah. And uh, they kept adding and subtracting and building it. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a... that that's where it started actually uh, as far as uh, well I don't know I don't know I can't say that's where it started in the United States that's that's the earliest that I've uh, 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 seen the uh, constitutional uh, uh, reflection of it okay yeah my my research to the same thing that that was the earliest I could find and then I also found that not long after the 1777 constitution came out England started sending their criminals here under the penalty of death or traveling because you have a choice. You either die or you go to the colonies to be an indentured servant. And they started applying that same type of thing in England right after seeing what Vermont had done. But here's my first question I want to ask you, uh, brother. Here we are 45 years later after you were in that prison cell and a brother stood up reading that amendment and you said, hold on, I I don't believe that. Hold on. 45 years later, and there is a real abolitionist movement that is being heard all across the globe now. How do you feel about that? Because, you know, I'm a nerd, and I study complexity theory, and I understand that chaos is subject to initial conditions. And you, brother, was that initial condition. So how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, people uh, uh, in, in Berkeley uh, and Oakland, uh, I would... Uh, be walking down the sidewalk with the petition uh, in my hand on a clipboard and they would see me and they would cross the street and go on the other side of the street to get away from me, see, because I was going to ask them to sign the petition or to take the petition uh, with them and uh, get signatures. And so I feel pretty good now. Yeah, I feel pretty good. <laughs> they're not, they're not running from me anymore. <laughs> Because it's really getting the attention it deserves now. It's not nearly enough as it will get, I, I, I predict, but it's starting to get the attention that it deserves. And you have a lot of legislators who are fully aware of this, some of them who have been guests here on this program. Um, my next question is uh, from the very beginning. Could you please explain to us why you chose to describe uh, the circumstances that we're dealing with here with the criminal justice system as prison slavery in your first two books? Yeah, as, as opposed to... Uh... Just slavery of women, yeah, you know, or, or or the slavery of uh, uh, um, domestic workers. Yeah, right. No, I understand. I understand. There, there's several forms of slavery. See, so so I would say that uh, uh, it uh, matched the uh, environment, uh, and and that I think that's pretty much the way that uh, 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 slavery is is described. Uh, prison slavery. Well, well, that's pretty, you know, self-evident, I, I guess. Um, uh, you know, like the slavery of, of, of black people, uh, the slavery of women, the slavery, uh, the wage slavery, you know. Uh, there's several forms of slavery, 
uh, prison slavery is is the most um, uh, inhumane, uh, if I may add, inhumane of them all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Prison slavery is 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 the one. You know, it's it's right there. It's bold face. It's in your face, and if you don't like it, then change it. But don't just turn around and walk away, because prison slavery is going to absolutely stay if you just turn around and walk away. And you might, you might be, you might become a prison slave. So um, you know, uh, it's it's, uh, it's 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 not something to uh, uh, you know turn your nose up at. You got to you got to get serious about it. You know. Well. Here, we kind of focus not on forms, but on types. And there's only two types of slavery that's illegal or illegal. So we focus yeah. on the legal type, which is the type that's practiced here in the United States. You mentioned wage slavery. That kind of irks me when people even compare that to chattel slavery and what's happening in the prisons and things like that, with people being raped and murdered and more men are raped than anybody, any other nation in the world because of our prisons. You know, you could quit a job. Well, you don't have to like it. See, it's not a matter of liking. I understand uh, wage slavery. You don't. You don't have to like it. It's it's a matter of recognizing where it's come from and how it's gotten there, and who who all is being uh, uh, enslaved by their with their labor. See, uh, they're being ripped off. They don't own the company. They should own the damn companies, but they don't. And they get kicked around, and if they don't like it, they can get fired. The president yeah, so, uh, reached out to me and they said, Max, we want the focus to be on us. about So use the term prison slavery. And I understand where they're coming from because they're risking their freaking lives and, and everything to get this done. So why not put the attention on them? And I understand that. But when I look at this system, as I said, I, I narrowed down to those two types. And um, I know that there are plenty of people fighting for the illegal type. But there are very few people that even recognize the legal version of slavery, which actually was in practice for 500 years, so I don't know how the hell they can forget that. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. It's a, it's a, it's something that has to constantly be battered, you know, pushed at them, push, 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 and uh, well, you know, there, there's more recognition, like you said, today uh, 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 for uh, uh, the reality of prison slavery as opposed to uh uh you know when i when i when i uh, uh saw this uh uh contradiction in the 13th amendment in 1972 so so uh you know i hey look i don't have to preach anymore you know <laughs> all right I don't, brother. Have to, I don't have to raise as much hell as i've as i've done before yeah, so, so, so you was like you was like John, you was like John in the wilderness, alone by yourself, and now you're no longer alone, and you have a congregation. Yes, brother Lee, well, thank you for answering that those questions for me. I'll have a few more for you later in the conversation. Uh, okay, good deal. Ask anything or open the lines or anything like that. Uh, were you talking to me, Max? I said, uh, would you like to ask any questions or open the line for listeners to ask any questions? Uh, uh, no, I, I don't have any questions. He's pretty much answered everything for me, um, you know, including the way I look at what we do is, is what he did. 
Mr. Wood, when you wrote that book in a spiritual sense, that was planting a seed. What you were doing were planting seeds of truth about slavery through the prisons, the truth about the 13th Amendment by writing those books about it and by speaking to people about it. And so, you know, 40-something years later, I, don't, I, I come across that book. I wasn't able to get a full copy, but I read some excerpts which led me to read the 13th Amendment for myself just like you did. Wait a minute, I don't believe it. Let me read it my, for myself and see what I get from it. And and so, you know, that was a seed that you planted that that uh, came to bloom in me. And I like to think that through this radio program, we have planted, you know, seeds, just like Johnny Appleseed, you know, whether it's through this radio program or speaking at public events, we just been carrying on uh, your message. So I, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, you're pretty much the spiritual father of the new abolitionist movement today. Well, it is an epiphany. You know, it, uh, an epiphany, an oh wow, this is this is this is what's happening in this country. Oh, oh wow, what can I do to change that? You know, am I a slave? You know, I mean, you know, there there are all of these questions and this epiphany, this this the spiritual. Well, I don't know about spiritual, but you know, this this. Uh, Consciousness raising uh, a contradiction is put right in front of you, you know, and uh, people have to deal with it. People, people, I have seen people just sit down and read the Thirteenth Amendment for like three or four hours, you know, and memorize it completely, memorize it, have it with them forever, you know, and 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 work to uh, uh, get that abolition. Uh, for as long as it takes. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Max, we have a caller just to let you know. Hey, Scotty, I'm sorry. We have a caller just to let you know. Go ahead with your comment, but we do want to acknowledge we got Black Rose on the board. Okay, so... Uh, Max, did you want to go to the caller? Okay, we can't hear, hear you, Max. Yes, he's here already. Go ahead and get to the car. Okay. Uh, thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio, Sister Black Rose, part of the Black Talk Radio Network broadcast family. Uh, you're on with, with uh, Mr. Lee Wood, the father of the New Abolitionist Movement. Go ahead with your question or comment. Black Rose. Can, I can't hear anything. Yeah, I can't hear her either. I think the person that was talking was uh, Jay Still, Still. No, no, it was Black Rose. Black Rose on the board. Um, she's having some technical difficulties. Max, go on in, until uh, she can get her technical issues cleared up. Perhaps Black Rose, just call us real quick from your phone, and we'll be able to uh, connect you with Mr. Wood that way. Go ahead, Max. What I was going to say is that uh, Brother Lee Woods and I was talking prior to the program, and he said something that I quickly recognized only visionaries of something like this would even understand. And he said that at the first 
in the beginning, I want to focus on the single word of slavery, of getting that out there into the environment, you know, getting that in people's lexicon. And it just hit me so hard because, you know, that's the same exact thing you and I said, Scotty, at the very beginning. We're like, we need to get two words out there, slavery and abolition. We, that's just the beginning of this because there's steps to this thing. And a lot of it involves trying to re-educate people and putting things into the environment that, you know, that weren't there before. So, uh, yeah, that was brilliant, uh, Brother Lee Wood. Well, on that? One, uh, an old, an old uh, uh, black uh, uh, prisoner slave in, uh, in Texas uh, 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 told me uh, years ago as I was walking out of the Ellis II unit, he stopped me and he said, slavery, man, slavery. That puts it all in one word. That's all you got to say, slavery. That's it. So, yeah, yeah. By saying I mean, slavery, you are charging a crime against humanity. A crime against humanity is not able to be reformed. That's not how you deal with a crime against humanity. You don't fix it. If you see people are under genocide, you don't go in and try to make softer bullets or something like that. That's not how it works. You abolish <laughs> slavery. <laughs> Absolutely. Root and branch. Root and branch. Without the root, there is no fruit. Let's try uh, Black Rose again. Uh, Sister Black Rose, you with us? Still not able to hear you, sis. Max, go ahead. Well, actually, Scotty, we're about two minutes from our first break, so you want to take it early, and then we'll open up the lines if anybody has anything to say after that? Sure. All right. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio here on the Black Talk Radio Network with Scotty Reed and Max Parthas and our guest today, the father of the New Abolitionist Movement, Lee Woods. We'll be right back after these messages. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio, since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. Peace. Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio here today with our guest, Lee Woods. Uh, Brother Lee Woods, uh, while Scotty's trying to get this board open again, I would like to ask another question. Um, what do you think of the other movements that are a part of what's happening now, which include prison abolition and justice reform, as well as 13th Amendment slavery, which you're already on. But those are the two. What do you think of them? Uh, Mr. Woods, are you there? Am I the only one not hearing anything? Uh, uh, Max, you... you hear me, Scotty? Yes. Hey. Oh, okay. Brother Lee Woods, uh, I was asking yes, the sir. question of you. What do you think of the prison abolitionist movement and the movement to re reform the criminal justice system as opposed to what you're doing? Okay. Now, what would it do? I'm sorry. Say that again, please. What do you think? of the other movements 
who are uh, vying to control the narrative, that being prison abolition and criminal justice reform. Uh, you mean, what are the differences between them, or what do I think about other organizations that are, are working in this arena of struggle? I don't. I don't. Let, let me frame. Let the me same fr- terminology or something. Let me let me frame the question this way. Some people believe the solution to ending slavery is to abolish prisons. Just get rid of prisons, and what they're gonna replace prisons with? What they plan to do with? the very real rapists, murderers, pedophiles, and all of that. I I have no idea. Your guess will be as good as mine, but that is their goal. That is their goal. And Angela Davis seems to be at the head of that that movement. It seems all the uh, prison abolitionists I come across are citing um, a booklet that she wrote about abolishing prisons. And the reformists, well, you pretty much see them every day on, well, you pretty much have heard about what they're trying to do, like, you know, removing mandatory minimum sentences or uh, reduce, getting rid of bail, uh, you know, th- things like that, reforming the system of slavery. as a, And then, you know, the other ones want to just get rid of prisons as opposed to what you're doing, working towards the abolition of slavery uh, about by removing the exception from the 13th Amendment in the work that will follow after that. Okay, well, part of the work is, is I mean, uh, let's see, who was it, what country was it that recently uh, released uh, like 50% of uh, uh, the, their prisoners as, as nonviolent or, or having, uh, um, you know, some nonviolent uh uh, offenses that you know that are the reason why they're inside, but but um, uh, you know that was like fifty percent of that prison uh, uh, country's uh, uh, prison jail populations uh, were released back into the community into into uh, uh, well-designed um, uh, alternatives to prison, uh, halfway houses, uh, uh, work-study groups, uh, college enrollment. Uh, uh, oh gosh, and 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 uh, with with the support of, of of both housing and employment and health and and uh, transportation and whatever whatever needs that that would be uh, uh, present um, at any given time. Uh, to uh, to uh, help or to assist uh, uh, the successful uh, reentry uh, into uh, the outside community. Uh, so so um, uh, that's pretty much where I'm coming from too. I I think that uh, uh, the abolition of prison slavery uh, could uh, definitely return uh, multiple citizenship, uh, uh, labor, uh, uh, human constitutional rights. It would have to, or else it would it would still be slavery. See, so. So it sounds like it sounds like. It sounds like you're saying, and this is something that myself and my, Max have posited to prison abolitionists: once you abolish slavery. The 
abolishment of prisons will take care of itself because you won't need have the need for these facilities to house all these people because they wouldn't be getting locked up in the first place. Yeah, right. Well, you know, there would be definite alternatives, you know, uh, like like those that I just uh, mentioned, uh, uh, you know, and and uh, uh, you know, halfway houses, uh, a community service, uh, 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 working definitely working in the community or in an industry or going to college. There are all of these, all of these. Uh, um, uh, programs uh, that have proven successful in the past, and they don't want to use them because they would be successful in the present. So, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, of um, really of just uh, 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 noticing which ones have been successful and then also noticing uh, uh, how they're successful uh, in the present. Uh, if they are, and, 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 also noticing how uh, violent uh, uh, the prisons are in in restricting uh, those rights and 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 and, and continuing to uh, uh, subjugate prisoners to uh, as, as slaves. Brother Lee Woods, uh, the reason I asked the question is first. Let me try to say it a little bit more clearer so you understand. I'm not taking anything away from the movements that are doing good work. Prison abolitionists are doing good work. Criminal justice reformists are doing good work, things that need to be done. But their narratives do not point this out as a crime against humanity. And that's a big problem right there, because you're telling me that you think this is slavery allowed by the 13th Amendment, and they don't think so. Instead, their narrative within criminal justice reform is that this is a mistake over time, errors in judgment by politicians and legislators, and we can fix it. And the prison abolitionists neither see it as a crime against humanity either because they are lobbying to end the prison system. So how do you feel about that? Oh, well, you know, one, they're, they're, they're all wrong. <laughs> they're all, they're, they're, it sounds like uh, opportunistic uh, approaches, uh, which are, uh, are or can be considered as counter-revolutionary. Uh, and uh, or we could consider them counter abolitionists. Uh, so uh, you know, I I don't uh, I don't take them as 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 beings. What I take them as as uh, being is uh, obstructionists uh, to uh, abolition, uh, and uh, uh, they need to uh, grow up, put on their big boy pants, and. Uh, become abolitionists. Brother, I just uh, did the best I could to stand up and saluted you. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> They're obstructionists. Yeah. But you're taking yeah. the that we're providing and telling us we're lying. And we can prove we're not lying. So instead of adopting an abolitionist perspective, they continue to narrate it as something that can be repaired instead of abolished. We have a call. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's all right. They're they're coming around. They're slowly but surely coming around. We keep pounding and pounding and pounding, and they keep uh, uh, relenting or, or uh, retreating, uh, uh, giving way. You know, and uh, they might not be joining us as much, but they're not 
as opposing us as much as they were, uh, you know, I mean, years ago, you know. I mean, I can see that. I can see that. I know that that is happening. Uh, And I also know that there are some, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I would call them vindictive, uh, childish-like organizations that uh, uh, just absolutely refuse to say the word, that old nasty word, slavery. You know, right. Hey, we have a deal with the with the ugliness of uh, of what it is, and, and and the pain that it inflicts. We we have a caller uh, from the Virginia area. We have uh, abolitionist Otis on the line. Otis, thanks for calling in. Go ahead with your question or comment. Good evening, my fellow comrades, brother Lee Wood. It's my pleasure to listen to you and to hear you say it is slavery. I will tell you, you have a lot more time at this than I do, and I'm only 65, but I'm a little more skeptical, and I'm willing to tell you, as Max and I have witnessed on this platform called Facebook, I think it's a little bit more than unwilling to call it slavery. It's starting to seem to me that if your paycheck depends on not calling it slavery, it's a whole lot easier to turn around and call us supposedly less educated people the fools. And I've run across it repeatedly on this platform of Twitter, Facebook, with all of these people that I usually have respect for with two or three degrees, and you send them 47 words and explain to them that slavery never ended, and they spend two or three paragraphs explaining to you how ignorant you are and what you missed. So I'm thinking that it's not just a matter of not understanding. It's your paycheck won't allow you to understand. I'll yield. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I just shine them on, brother. Just give them the big shine because they don't know what they're talking about. They're trying to make a, 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 a diamond out of a, a piece of slavery, you know, and uh, uh, they, can't, they can't do that. You know, they got to abolish it. There's no two ways about it. I will say the one thing that bothers me after about five years of following these two gentlemen, Max and and Scotty, is I seem to run into the academics that are really gatekeepers in a lot of HBCUs, and some of them have gotten so bold over the last year or so, you will actually see them on this platform of Facebook and Twitter calling their students silly and ignorant for explaining to them that slavery never ended. they just that indoctrinated. So well, I, again, I say, unless we confront them head on, I think we're going to end up having them do what TV and, and the movies has done to us for decades, kind of skate around the issue and, and uh, try to derail things. And I, I'm all for going for the, jo- the juggler myself. Yeah, hey, uh, the, the, hey, Lee and Otis, yes, if you if you don't mind, I want to add a little bit to this before you answer or uh, uh, add your comment, Lee. I want to read an exact quote from Daryl Scott, who is a professor at uh, Howard University, and this is what he says about us. He says, quote, the Civil War may have ended chattel slavery, but the 13th Amendment had a fatal flaw, allowing for an exception from free labor for the incarcerated. Almost immediately, states, especially in the South, use this to control black labor, unquote. Then he says in his own words, 
when the history professors start shamelessly promoting this historical illiteracy, it will take a generation to unseat it. This is what happens when scholars refuse to speak up because they want to keep the company of celebrity. I don't know anyone who is for the exploration of prison labor, but this is not the doing of the 13th Amendment. Shake my head. Quote, Daryl Scott. Okay, well, um, I'm not sure if that was uh, uh, in support of uh, abolition or uh, or not. I, I didn't. It was quite. Everything. It was kind of confusing, Max. This is basically a fool, and that we are full of it. Oh, is that what he's saying? <laughs> well, you look. Are you look? Be a, be a grown up, be a grown up, brother man. Be a grown up and just shine the fool on because uh, he obviously don't know or or expose his silly butt, you know. You know, pray, praise praise our, our our good brothers and sisters that that are on the right track, and then uh, you know straighten uh, uh, or attempt to straighten those out that. Uh, uh, that uh, are reactionaries and uh, uh, provocateurs and members of uh, of the slaveocracy in some form or fashion, okay? Because now there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that are calling in and writing in uh, that are members of particular uh, uh, for-profit prison uh, uh, propaganda units, okay? And uh, I'm sorry. No, I was agreeing with you exactly. There are oh, yeah, okay. astroturfers. Yes. And what? Uh, astroturfers. They're astroturfers. They're for, not for actually it. grassroots organizations. They're people in the employ of the prison industrial complex, whose only job is to uh, lend doubt to the argument. Right. Right. Exactly. There was this man that even wrote a book, and it's called Prison and slavery, all right? Prison and slavery. And that was a for-profit prison uh, uh, advocate's uh, uh, book. And, and so he, he wanted it to be as close to prison slavery, but prison and slavery, you see? So, so uh, 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 he, he, uh, he even uh, uh, advocates that a little prison slavery is good. Actually, there's a former prisoner who says something similar. I can't think of her name right now, but she's out of California, a white woman. And she's even been featured in some of these conversations about the national prison strikes. And she said, like, prison work is good for you. That is liberating and what have you. Okay, nobody's arguing that prisoners should not work. What's being argued is that prisoners should be paid for their work, paid the prevailing wage for their state or whatever their regional geographical region. If it's the federal minimum wage, um, then it shouldn't be anything less. But she's muddying the waters, and I feel on purpose, by talking about, oh, oh, it's nothing wrong with them doing this work in the prisons. I found it to be a very liberating experience. And, of course, she's on some organization's uh, payroll, you know. I feel like to, to, to yeah, muddy the right. waters. You're right, exactly. Exactly. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of these uh, 
uh, uh, folks are uh, are being paid. You're daggum right. Uh, uh, they have some uh, 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 specific writers in for-profit uh, prison uh, uh, corporations that write these things up. Yeah, oh yeah, that advocate for prison slavery. Slavery's okay. There's nothing wrong with slavery. Little slavery's good. This one guy even told me one time. He said, there's nothing wrong with slavery. Slavery's good. I said, okay, well, look, I'll be the master and you be the slave. Um, That dude took off running. Obstructionism was mentioned, um, but I think Otis also talked about gatekeepers. And Mr. Woods, you know, I started this as a nonprofit black talk media project because I discovered that we were losing black independently on radio stations in the neighborhood. And I knew how important the important role radio stations were to previous liberation movements. Uh, It wouldn't be nothing for Dr. King to drop in on the local radio station if he was having an event (laughs) and what have you. But since the 1996 Telecommunications Act that Bill Clinton signed into law, which allowed these big corporations like iHeartRadio to buy up more stations in the market where you were um, before prohibited, you could only own a certain amount of stations in the market. When they lifted that restriction, the big corporations drowned out the independent black radio station. So, so, but I understand the role of black media in, in any liberation movement we've been a part of, the abolitionist newspapers, pre-American Civil oh, yeah. War, and what have you. But today, sir, I have to tell you, I am very, very very, I don't even know if disappointed is the word because I had to have thought something about you to be disappointed in the first place. But this media that we have now calling itself black media, it is not covering the national prison strike. They're acting like it's not even happening. And like I said the other day on social media, you got a magazine made for teenagers called Teen Vogue. Now, Teen Vogue focuses on fashion and makeup and stuff like that. Now, I said if Teen Vogue could put out an article talking about prison slavery and how it's wrong and what have you and how we need to end it, where are all these black uh, uh, um, ebony hadn't done anything on it, Uh, Essence hadn't done anything on it, Um, You know, and I'm looking at their social media accounts. Even if you're not going to write your own, you could at least retweet some of those messages that the activists are putting out or retweeting the prisoner's press release. They're doing nothing. So somebody, um, one of the prisoners themselves, shout shout out to Swift Justice and Unheard Voices. When I made it, said something about it um, on Twitter, he tagged, a whole bunch of different black folks in media um, that had not spoke out. Today, I took a look at Steve Harvey's Twitter timeline, and all I saw was entertainment, 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 going on a cruise, entertainment, entertainment, going on a cruise, nothing, nothing about the vital. And these are people who command large audiences through corporate radio. And I, I don't understand it, Mr. Woods. I'm I'm grabbing because I'm saying some people said, well, maybe the gatekeepers or the plantations that they work at won't allow them to say nothing. But I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
all these white outlets is saying something about it. So I, I, I don't understand any excuse of why these black outlets and media personalities ain't saying anything. It's just perplexing to me, Mr. Wood. Well, it's probably advertisement. You know, they're going to lose their advertisement uh, if they say something. You know, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's vindictive. I don't I don't think it's a it's a vindictive situation. I think it's just that uh, uh, they might be strapped also, you know, and uh, may, not as strapped as you or I or as as other abolitionists. Uh, but, uh, 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 you know, people are people are moved by the do re mi. They got to have it. And uh, if, if it's going to be a matter of uh, of uh, upsetting uh, uh, that apple cart, uh, uh, they won't do it because uh, they they're, they're being coerced. Uh, either you do like this, or or you uh, you don't survive. You know. So uh, people don't people don't have a lot of uh, courage out there when they're when they're uh, uh, being enslaved by uh, the dollar bill. I would like to inform you all of something that uh, you weren't aware of, but you should know. Right now, there are two poets listening to this conversation uh, with the intent to write a poem about what they hear today afterwards. And in two weeks, we'll be releasing poetry that was provided by abolitionist poets who have heard these different uh, conversations with different you know, representatives, and we'll share them with the world. I thought you guys might want to know that you're being immortalized in poetry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, (laughs) there are two stories. You know, we we always have like dozens of stories every week because we try to document what's happening now. Uh, Max, Uh, I'm sorry. Before you get into the stories, I want to try real quick on the call. Black Rose, see if she can get in so that, you know, she can get it in before we go into the other stories. Black Rose, would you like to try again, please? Hey, Scotty, can you hear me now? Uh, can, y- right. Yes, we hear you. Turn it up just a little bit. Ooh, all right. Finally. Okay. Welcome Great back, show. Back. Yes, but I, I tuned in late, so I did not get the brother's uh, book title, and that's what I'm interested in. Prison slave. The title of your book. Yeah, the, the titles of the books are uh, from first one, 1978, Prison Slavery in the 13th Amendment. The second one is 1982, Prison Slavery. 1982, Prison Slavery. Okay, thank you. And, and Scotty, you're exactly right. Uh, I really haven't been seeing much uh, black media coverage. Um, about the prison strike and so I mean we're speaking about it tonight we announced it and I'm glad that you brothers are speaking on it and I guess we just have to be the foot soldiers out here and that's why we are in the media so thank you guys I'll keep listening thank you yeah it's like uh, you know uh, you want to say that I'm of the old vanguard well you know we are of the new vanguard right now, so you know we're, build, we're, we're, we're building a platform, all right, now for others, for others to come after. Well, for us and for others to come after us, you know. So, so we we got a long struggle. It's it's not going to be. Uh, I I always hope that uh, 
uh, I can get uh, uh, the 13th Amendment uh, changed. I went to Congress with, uh, I forgot how many thousands of, uh, uh, it was boxes, boxes full of uh, petitions, uh, and uh, uh, Congressman John Conyers uh, took it, and uh, uh, he sent out a, uh, uh, oh, guess what they call it, um, sense of, uh, sense of, uh, no, 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 no. Let's see, wait a minute. Uh, anyway, it was it was uh, uh, he was he was trying to get signatures uh, uh, to the uh, 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 legislation that we were pushing, and that was just just a straight reading of uh, of the thirteenth uh, of the thirteenth amendment Co- without the exception. Co-sponsors. You know, he was trying to get co-sponsors or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, we got about six or seven or eight or I, I don't know how many there were, uh, but uh, but definitely uh, Ronald Dillons and John Conyers and Mickey Leland. You remember Mickey Leland, Congressman Mickey Leland? Uh, well, no, you probably don't. He, y'all are youngsters. I, I remember uh, the name. Yeah. I, I remember the name because I read a lot. So yes, I know the oh. name. And, okay. and me being from Houston, Texas, I'm familiar with Mickey Leland somewhat too. Just had to tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And he died in a in a, a plane crash uh, uh, in Africa, I believe. So, but he uh, he was uh, he uh, uh, I I went to Houston and and uh, met uh, with Mickey and uh, uh, some uh, uh, local uh, advocates and. Uh, 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 we went on over to uh, uh, a big meeting in uh, uh, the Texas uh, uh, prison system. It was uh, actually it was more um, um, parents and advocates and and members of uh, of, of this uh, halfway house or this organization or that organization, and we just stood up, you know. And Mickey Leland said, "This is what needs to be done." And he, he quoted uh, 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 our proposal uh, without the exception, and uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, Department of Correction uh, representatives were just uh, baffled. They didn't know what to say. So, uh, uh, but then uh, then uh, uh, Mickey, uh, uh, Congressman uh, Leland, uh, went to. Uh, uh, talk with some more prisoners and uh, uh, about it, and and he came back. He was totally, uh, uh, totally with us then. So, so uh, yeah, okay. We had some good struggles. We can still we can still build on those struggles. You see, because uh, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, all right was uh, uh, the uh, operations coordinator uh, for uh, uh, Congressman Ronald V. Dellums, okay, who just passed uh, recently. Uh, he was a great guy. We used to call him uh, Brother Longlegs. Uh, anyway. Um, uh, Words? Yes, uh, what I was saying earlier is that, you know, we always just document the times with the articles, putting them in our form, but I want to just incorporate two stories into the conversation and kind of get your opinion on them, if that's all right with you. Okay, sure. All right. The first one, 
represents a lot of the uh, high-profile uh, exposure that the prison strike is getting. This one came out yesterday from the New York Daily News, and I'm just going to read a little bit of it for you. It says, the average of the minimum daily wages, daily wages, paid to incarcerated workers for non-industry jobs is now 86 cents, down from 93 cents per day reported in 2001. PPI reported in 2017 at least seven states appear to have lowered their maximum wages, and South Carolina no longer pays wages for any regular prison jobs. Assignments that paid up to $4.80 a day in 2001 with a few rare exceptions, regular prison jobs are still unpaid in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, and Texas. This is literally slave labor. The 13th Amendment to the Constitution abolished slavery except as a punishment crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. For decades, prison labor was used to state for state products like license plates, but that changed in 2011 when an odious law called the Prison Industries Act put the federal government in the business of selling the labor of 17,000 inmates to brand-name corporations. It's all out in the open. Businesses can go to Unicor.gov and see what they can buy dirt cheap from America's pool of slave labor. The Daily News by Errol Lewis, September 4th. Yeah. Okay, well, it's the, what, what is it called again, the Prison What uh, Act? Uh, it's called the, uh, let me pull it up here, it's the Prison Industries Act, which was also oh. written by ALEC, the American mm. Legislation Exchange Council. Yeah, well, it should be Prison Slavery Act, see? That's what it should be, because um, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're trying to put a new face on it. You know, and uh, uh, but but you can't put a new face on slavery. See, can't put a new new face on prison slavery. Well, I uh, thought that the clarity with which he expressed the circumstances we find ourselves under was exceptional. He was very clear about what we were dealing with and why. And that's the New York Daily News. Like, who would ever expected the New York Daily News would be talking about people being in slavery today? Right, right. Well, I'm okay. Thanks. You know, uh, well, but but we haven't we haven't accomplished our our uh, abolition yet. No, so, we haven't. So and we that, got plenty of work to do. So that leads to the second article, which again I just want to read a little bit of it, which is sure. causing confusion. And this comes from Big Think, which is a very large publication. Uh, it's big. It's what's it called? Big Think. Big thing. Okay. Yes. Very large publication. And they put out an article, and in that article, they said that perhaps the most important item on their list, however, was that incarcerated workers earn a decent wage. So they said that that is the most important issue. And then they went further into the conversation of the article and explained slavery through the 13th Amendment clearly. And it just struck me as double talk. Because you just said the number one thing they want to do is get paid, and then you turn around and say it's slavery. How in the hell, if it's slavery, is the number one thing to get paid? I, okay, okay. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mr. Wood. Okay, okay. What, what I want to say is that, that some groups and organizations will come out and say something 
dynamic, like this is prison slavery, at the first of, of an article, and then later they will uh, attempt to discount, okay, uh, in order to save whatever face or, or political position that they have. Or they'll do it just the opposite. They will, they will uh, discount uh, uh, prison slavery at the beginning, and then at the end of the article, article they'll come out with a little caveat here or there okay and so you know that, that, there, there, see there are there are there are for-profit prison writers okay that are out there and they're getting paid by the for-profit prisons uh, to write the, these uh, uh, these cross-eyed uh, articles that they're, that they're pushing. Um, yeah, so uh, I I would if you would read that for me one more time, Max. We can't hear you, Max. The one from Big Think that I just read. Yes, read that excerpt again. Okay, it starts with in the early part of the uh, article. Perhaps the most important item on their list, and this is after listing their demands. However, was that incarcerated workers earn a decent wage. And then later on, they said the Civil War may have fought to end slavery, but in effect, it just shoved it under the rug. When the 13th Constitutional Amendment was made after the war, it forbade slavery and involuntary servitude under all circumstances except as a punishment for crime. The semantics of whether prison labor is slavery is ambiguous. Okay, this is what, what I got from what I heard that... Number one, if you're posting the list of demands, um, the prisoners themselves have it in order. Okay, they got they, they got one through ten. So at the top, they say imp immediate improvements to the conditions of prisons and prison policies that recognize the humanity of imprisoned persons. Number two is where they start talking about getting paid. An immediate end to prison slavery. All persons in prison in any place of detention under United States jurisdiction must be paid the prevailing wage in their state or territory for their labor. So, sound, I could be wrong, um, but it sounds like to me is he's reconciling the two. He's not, it sounds like to me, and this is just my interpretation of what I heard, that he's saying that one of their main demands is that we be paid for our work. And then he goes on to say them not being paid is slavery. That's how I interpret it. Perhaps others heard it differently. But if I, they had said one of, I'd agree with you, but they didn't say one of, they said the most. Okay, so so that's his opinion that they're most, but it is among their list of demands, though. It's number two. Okay, well, uh, either they understand and they're, they're trying to uh, um, uh, get away with uh, uh, going both ways. Uh, I had to read you know, the, uh, the article in its totality. Uh, sometimes excerpts don't, don't give you the full gist, but again, as I've stated, I'm on this strike right here, I'm following the prisoners. I'm, I'm pushing their list of demands. So I'm not going to categorize what's most important uh, to them. They put out a list, and I would presume that they would tell us all 10 are important. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, slavery, uh, the abolition of slavery, like like I suggested tonight, uh, 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 includes is inclusive of uh, uh, freedom of speech, due right. process, protection. Uh, you know, you can go through the go through the whole bill uh, and and enunciate all of those rights, and and you can even go through the United Nations uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights and apply those rights as well. Section uh, we four. Both. Yeah, section you know. four. Unless Max has another question or another article to share, I do have an, um, another question pertaining to. I agree with it. Okay, uh, well, Mr. Woods, um, you mentioned early on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, and I actually had started tweeting out the relevant sections to slavery in Article 4, which is Article 4, which calls for, uh, uh, it says slavery is prohibited in all forms. In all forms. So I was saying, okay, that was passed in 1948 after World War II, and everybody rightfully has sympathy for what the victims of the Nazi party went through, whether we're talking about gypsies, Jews, communists, gays, or whoever else they were targeting, that there was there was a sentiment worldwide that we can't let this happen again, all right? And so in Article 4, they address slavery. The United States signed this principle. This was doing FDR. Right, exactly. Yeah, this is doing FDR's administration. And, and shout out to the spirit of Eleanor Roosevelt because she was the right. main one who was pushing for these rights and, and what have you. And But what should have happened after the United States signed that Declaration of Universal Human Rights they should have changed the 13th Amendment right then and there because it's in direct conflict with Article 4. And I don't see it, it in direct conflict with it. You can't say I abolish slavery. I agree with abolishing slavery in all its forms, but leave in place in your supreme law of the land an exception for slavery. And I this needs to, again, be pushed at the human rights level as well as on every level, but we need to get people, um, other nations to recognize this, the General Assembly. We've had one nation that I know of, Venezuela, actually pointed out in a peer review process with the United States that in addition to them um, um, treating agricultural undocumented uh, workers as slaves, they directly pointed to the 13th Amendment and told them that you never abolished slavery. Venezuela is the only country I can recall at this time they called them out on the 13th Amendment. And there needs to be wider condemnation among the nations of the world who are in agreement with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Your thoughts, Mr. Woods? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you can't you can't do both. You know, you can't uh, agree with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, uh, what was that, Section 4, Clause 4? Section 4. Section 4. Okay. Okay, Section 4. Uh, uh, you, you, can't, you can't be uh, aligned with uh, uh, the universal, you know, I mean, that's everybody, yeah, uh, 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 Declaration of Human Rights. Uh, and, 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 
still support slavery. It's a contradiction. It's like it's like uh, being uh, uh, quartered, you know, by horses, you know, like they used to do, ripped apart. A person ripped apart, you know, uh, and, and you, uh, because 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 the, the slavery proviso will rip you apart in your hypocrisy. You see, you can't do that. And you, and, and if you let other people do it, then then um, you know they are they are uh, uh, ripping themselves apart if if they don't understand. Um, People, people sat down with this, and 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 for for hours and weeks and months, and 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 look at this, and 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 then they they try to uh, deny it, and and then they come back and they they can't deny it. Somebody else will say, "No, man, that's stupid," you know. This is slavery. Look at it. Look at it, brother. Do you have the right to vote? Hell no, you don't have the right to vote. Do you have freedom of speech? No. Go talk to a guard. No, you don't have freedom of speech. You know, you don't have freedom of press, uh, freedom from cruel and unusual punishment. Oh, please, give me a break. You know, uh, uh, this is all slavery. This is all slavery, and and uh, they won't let you out of it. Uh, they they even now they want. Uh, uh, college uh, uh, athletes, football players, basketball players, uh, uh, to be uh, under this uh, proviso, so that they can continue to see, uh, receive uh, uh, great uh, advertising uh, uh, checks uh, uh, from from their advertisers uh, at you know, halftime games, you know. And uh, so, so uh, uh, it, it, it yeah, permeates yes, sir. Every, everything. Yes, sir. Um, Sean King, also writer for the New York Daily News, wrote an article about you had one of the student athletes sue um, the NAACP and demand that their student athletes be paid at least work study. Um, but like you said, they don't want to split that revenue pie which is a, over a billion a year, might be a couple of billion a year. They don't want to split that revenue with them. And in response to uh, Lawrence Poppy Livers, that's his name, Lawrence Poppy Livers' lawsuit, Sean King documented that the NAACP came back and said, and I'm paraphrasing, hey, slavery's legal. It's in the 13th Amendment. They actually cited this in a court case. So, so was it an excuse, or was it? Uh, uh, I don't know the outcome of it. I don't know if it was dismissed. I can't say right now, um, but we will have to do some follow up. But Lawrence Poppy Livers was the plaintiff, a former student athlete, sued the NAACP. NAACP uh, came back with a motion to dismiss, saying, "Hey, Thirteenth Amendment allows for slavery." The NCAA, you mean? I'm sorry. Yes, Max. Thanks for correcting me. Did I, what I say in in double ACP or something? Yes. NCAA. Thank you, Max. He's correct. They say that the use of that case stems from several several other law cases alleging unpaid labor, and two of them are previous lawsuits against the NCAA in which the case was cited as precedent, and the NCAA won using the 13th Amendment as the reasoning for not having to pay college athletes. 
Yeah, are you looking at the uh, the lawsuit, uh, Max? Joffen, uh, uh, but I, I'm not. Yeah, I, I can see it. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, they 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 have to uh, protect their financial interests. You see, the slave masters have to protect their financial interests, and 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 in college, the advertisements is is into the billions. Maybe trillions. No, no, that's right. It is over a period of four or five years. It's tr it's in the trillion, into the trillion dollars. You see, so uh, they have to protect uh, that uh, that revenue input uh, and uh, by keeping slaves. See, that's that's slave labor. That I mean, you know, sure they give everybody. Uh, 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 well, I mean, you know, college athletes. Uh, scholarships, et cetera, et cetera, put them up, give them good food and all this and all that. But they're exploiting them in the process also. Um, and, and I have some other information in regards to that case. Now, I'm looking at something from law360.com. Um, they want me to register to get free access to the content. But let me see if I can get a Google cache of it. No, I can't. But it's saying that ex-NCAA athletes minimum wage case stays alive. And that was published July 26 of 2018. U.S. District Judge Michael M. Baleson refused Wednesday to toss the lawsuit brought by Lawrence Poppy Libers, a Scottish football, and then, you know, uh, it goes on. It's on law360.com. So that lawsuit's still alive. Yeah, yeah, I believe it is. They're, they're appealing. Uh, 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 the uh, um, uh, the football player is is appealing. Uh, well, the case is moving forward. The NCAA put in a motion to dismiss the case, saying, right. you know, just like how the NFL tried to get the arbitrator to dismiss Colin Kaepernick's case. And they said, hold up, wait a minute. Exactly. There, hold exactly. up, wait a minute. There's exactly. evidence here that they have evidence enough to take it to trial. So that's what it sounds like is happening with uh, Lawrence Poppy Liber's case is the judge refused the NCAA um, motion to dismiss and the lawsuit's still alive. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, uh, I don't know what I can do to... Uh, help it but uh, 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 I can I can tell you that there are uh, college students that are opposing uh, slavery uh, in in their in their uh, uh, various colleges and universities and uh, both historically and, and in the in the present uh, um, they they are making uh, universities uh, divest their holdings in in these for profit uh, prisons. So so that's a very strong movement. You see, it, it's not it's not uh, uh, spoken of uh, often, but but it is uh, a very strong. These are students. They're cramped up in the in you know in in the uh, uh, the prison of the university there. You know, and uh, but they're opposing they're opposing what. Uh, what uh, their uh, uh, slave masters are telling them uh, uh, in the universities, uh, and uh, they're opposing uh, 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 that uh, enslavement uh, 
that their universities are doing because it's making them trillions of, of dollars. You see, so. Um, Scotty Reed, I need to ask a question. We're about 12 minutes uh, before the end of the program. Do we want to do the final segments this evening? Um, I'll leave it to you, Max. There was a video that you said we must play. Yeah, I, I really wanted to share it, but I, I don't know if we have time. We could skip the uh, final two segments because this is a special series we're doing anyway. Okay. And we'll share it on our Facebook page. And then we'll, uh, what we can do is uh, play the video and maybe uh, have some comments on it and then go with our final comments for the evening. Okay, where can I find the video, sir? Uh, well, I wasn't prepared to give you a chance to try to. Is it, it a here. YouTube video? I'm I'm in BTR community. I'm scanning. Um, A4 abolish. Hmm? A4 abolish videos, or is that the one we played last night? Which one? Uh, no, this one is. I got it. I'll get the link and put it into the chat room for you. Okay. And basically. A six-minute video, which is, I'm not even sure we've got time for that. It's a six-minute video, but it explains how uh, the narrative after the Civil War carried on uh, with the lost cause uh, efforts, and it became part of standard education, and it really explains how we came from 1865 to here with the narratives and the statues everywhere and the racism everywhere, because this was taught to them as an educational process in public schools. Slavery. The master often had a barbecue or a picnic for his slaves. Then they had a great frolic. Even while working in the cotton fields, they sang songs. The beat of the music and the richness of their voices made work seem light. Yikes, that's from History of Georgia, a textbook published in 1954 that was taught across junior high schools in Georgia for decades. That sort of language is part of an intellectual movement called the Lost Cause, a distorted version of American Civil War history that's been prevalent in the South for a long time. It took shape soon after the defeat of the Confederate States in the war, when Southern historians like Edward Pollard and former Confederate General Jubal Early started preserving the South's perspective through their writings. They framed the Confederate cause as a heroic defense of the Southern way of life against the overwhelming forces in the North. That narrative has a few basic tenets. The glorification of Confederate soldiers who died for a cause they believed in, the belief that slavery was a benevolent institution, and maybe most importantly, that slavery was not the root cause of the war. The Lost Cause is one of the most notoriously effective efforts to rewrite history, and it was done by the losing side. So how did it become so deeply rooted in Southern memory? Blame the United Daughters of the Confederacy. The UDC was founded in Nashville in 1894 to preserve Confederate culture for generations to come. The women who made up the group descended from elite antebellum families, and they used their social and political clout to spread the pro-Southern version of the war as real history. You've probably seen their efforts to honor the Confederacy, but maybe you didn't know it was the UDC. They're the ones who covered the Southern landscape with memorials for Confederate leaders and soldiers. They used their fundraising and lobbying skills to pressure local governments into erecting monuments in prominent 
public spaces like courthouses and state capitals. Installed here next to the state capitol by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. The United Daughters of the Confederacy donated this memorial to the city back in the 30s. They put them along roadsides and in parks. Any place that was remotely relevant to the Confederacy was memorialized. By the early 20th century, the UDC had 100,000 members and chapters spread all over the country, but mostly in former Confederate states. And there's a reason they grew so quickly during that time. So we're talking about roughly three decades after the end of the war, and the Confederate veterans themselves are beginning to die off. So there is this push to find ways to commemorate it, because the big challenge by 1900 was there's a new generation of white Southerners being born, and they never experienced the, the war years. That push is visible. Most of the Confederate monuments were erected during the UDC's height of influence. There's a rhetoric around monuments that we want to get the this thing built before all of that generation has died off. And the reason we want it is to teach future generations about those men. Dr. Karen Cox wrote the book on the UDC, and I asked her if it was fair to say the group established the lost cause as historical fact in the South. Oh my God, yeah. They were the leaders of the lost cause into the 20th century, and they made it a movement about vindication. Just to give you an idea of how effective they were, they successfully lobbied for a Confederate memorial in Arlington National Cemetery, which U.S. President Woodrow Wilson proudly unveiled to a cheering crowd. Now that's influence, right? Monuments are the least of what they did. Uh, what? I mean, they, they are the most visible and tangible, but the work with children was far more influential. It turns out a central UDC objective is shaping how children think about the war and their Southern heritage. One of their most powerful tools, textbooks. Take a look at this pamphlet called A Measuring Rod for Textbooks. It was written by the illustrious Southern historian Miss Mildred Rutherford, an educator, orator, and author of Southern history textbooks. She's also very pro-slavery. The pamphlet announced the formation of a textbook review committee featuring prominent Southerners like five former Confederate generals. This group was committed to spreading the truths of Confederate history, so they instructed school boards to reject any textbooks that did not accord full justice to the South. And they urged libraries to deface every book in their collection that didn't measure up by writing the words unjust to the South clearly on its cover. This pamphlet was shared widely with school boards throughout the South, and UDC-backed committees closely monitored history books to make sure Northern influence never reached classrooms. So the core language of an approved textbook aligned precisely with that of the lost cause. You know, stuff like... The Confederacy lost in the war between the states, but Georgia never forgot to honor her Confederate soldiers. History of Georgia was on the UDC's approved list. It was also written by E. Merton Coulter, a self-described Southern historian and historian-described white supremacist. They understand that how you educate, who wins the writing game, who wins the, the battle over history, ultimately wins the war. That's the big fight for the UDC. But their work with children went further than the classrooms. The UDC formed an auxiliary group called the Children of the Confederacy, which was designed to get kids born in former Confederate states to actively participate in their version of history. Group leaders had kids recite call-and-response truths from something called the Confederate Catechism. Children up to the age of 18 would compete and be rewarded for memorizing long passages of lost cause rhetoric. So it would be like an after-school thing, you know, like that was your club. You would go after school to the meeting of the children of the Confederacy and your leader might teach you songs of the South like Dixie or other songs 
songs that were considered Southern patriotic songs. They would have them write essays, go visit the veterans, and learn this catechism. Children were also the centerpiece of their community's monument unveilings, like this living flag at the dedication of the Stonewall Jackson Monument in Richmond. Yes, those are school children. The UDC's efforts shaped the identities of children who grew up with the lost cause. They made history personal, and that made their story last longer. Generations of generations of children learning that narrative in a variety of ways grow up to be, you know, segregationist in the 50s and 60s. Okay, for the sake of time, I'm going to stop it there. You know who was indoctrinated by that school of thought that was in the school system itself? The uh, head of the Department of Justice, Jeff Sessions. People like that. That's how they got the ideals about this country. I mean, it explains a lot. They don't want to say anything about the great abandonment of uh, uh, what happened happened, uh, when the uh, northern troops uh, came into the south to... uh, enforce and reinforce uh, 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 radical reconstruction uh, and, and then and then after the grant it was abandoned every damn thing and was right. abandoned and so so uh, the south uh, took back over with the uh, uh, massive uh, 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 prison slavery in a number of forms uh, but uh, ma- mainly convict lease system but coming to the end of our program, so I want to say just a couple minutes for you to have any final comments for this evening, and I want to start by saying thank you so much, Lee Wood, for being here with us today. You are an inspiration, and uh, we always feel like we're standing on your shoulders, so uh, thank you for that. If uh, there any way that people can help you in your fight, uh, whether it be your personal issues that you're going with with your health, or through this fight and modern-day slavery, and any final comments you may want to offer. Well, sure, absolutely. I think they should uh, uh, support uh, uh, you and Scotty uh, in in large measure, and of course uh, support uh, uh, the Committee to Abolish Prison Slavery and uh, 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 grow up, you know, grow up and look at the 13th Amendment. It says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime. Take that damn exception out of there. That shouldn't even be in there. You know, so, uh, uh, you know, people just have to grow up and, and get real uh, with, the, with the reality of what's going on rather than, rather than uh, uh, denying reality. Uh, that's, that's what I guess. Yeah. Thank you, Brother Lee Wood. And I would hope that from here on in, you would consider me one of your mentees. And uh, if you see me in going in the wrong direction, or if you want to give me advice, feel free to do that anytime. Hey, look, I'd like to be on your program again sometime in the near future. Yes, yes, we got a lot to talk about, indeed. We'll do that. That was yeah. certainly good. Brother Scotty, any final comments for the evening? Um, yes. Again, Mr. Wood, I just want to thank you for sowing the seeds, the abolitionist seeds in my life. Um, because if not for you and, you know, those people who helped you write or edit the book, um, 
I would I I still may not have known, you know, who knows? I might I would probably just be coming into that knowledge now uh with this prison strike. So, you know, um you put me on the path of ab uh, slavery abolitionists. You gave me the knowledge that the 13th Amendment did not abolish uh slavery and you know, just trying to get it abolished and spread awareness has become a very big part of, of my life uh, ever since that day. And so, you know, it's, it's great to be able to talk to you tonight and will be, you know, better to talk to you in the future as you share, share some history with us tonight. You know, I didn't know John Conyers and them other congressmen and, were not, and whatnot were working with you in, in your oh, committee. Yeah. I did not know that. See, that's that history they hide from us, um, that unwritten history that we're passing down orally in the African tradition. So thanks for sharing that history, because I don't know if it's been written down anywhere. So just thank you, sir. And I want to thank all the callers for calling in with their comments and questions and to become a part of this abolitionist movement to end slavery once and for all. Thank you. Be sure to tune in next week when we're going to have some discussions with criminal justice reformers. And please show up in Columbia, South Carolina, at the State House on September 8th, where we will be having a rally for SC, 1.30 p.m. to 4 p.m. Remember this, family. Abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. Just lift your eyes up, let your eyes rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time. Rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff.